In nature, a wildfire is one of the most devastating natural forces. It burns hot and fast and leaves little behind but ash and char. Or so it seems. Very soon after the fire passes through the forest, life returns. Shrubs and weeds that clog the forest floor have burned away, leaving space for new trees, grasses, and flowers to emerge and flourish. Habitats are created, bringing new insects, birds, reptiles, and mammals. A cancer diagnosis can feel like a wildfire, our bodies becoming this new, fire-clarified landscape. For some, cancer changes utterly everything. For others, cancer brings greater clarity and purpose. And some of us are still searching for what life after a cancer diagnosis will look like. Welcome to The Burn. We are exploring stories of life and transformation following a breast cancer diagnosis. I'm April Stearns, the founder and editor of Wildfire Magazine and the host of this podcast. Today, we're going to hear a piece that delves deep into the essence of time, its significance, and the remarkable ways it shapes our lives. We all measure time differently. Some perceive it as fleeting, slipping through our fingers like sand, while others see it as a steady beat, ticking away with each passing moment. But what happens when time takes on an entirely new meaning, when a single diagnosis shakes the very foundation of our existence? It's something many of us can relate to here at Wildfire. In today's episode, we meet Rachel Van Strattenkirk, whose life took an unexpected turn when she received a metastatic cancer diagnosis. Suddenly, time became an enigma, an intricate puzzle that demanded new definitions, new perspectives, and new strategies for making every moment count. Time became Rachel's ally, her motivation to push boundaries, and challenge preconceived notions and statistics. Even as her oncologist suggested stepping back from work to focus on treatment, Rachel saw her career as a lifeline, an anchor grounding her to a purpose beyond the confines of her diagnosis. As you'll hear in her piece today, Rachel embarked on a process of reclaiming her identity, refusing to be minimalized by statistics or societal pressures and judgments. She learned to prioritize joy, to live authentically, and to let go of the burdens that hindered her from embracing the present moment. Rachel is a wife, sister, daughter, and medical device marketing leader. She was born and raised in Kalamazoo, Michigan. And not long after her initial diagnosis and treatment for stage one triple negative breast cancer at the age of 35, she and her husband, Kevin, found beauty and enjoyment in Orange County, California, and the two now reside there. Rachel is the third generation of her family diagnosed with breast cancer, with her maternal grandmother having a hormone-positive metastatic diagnosis. Rachel's cancer returned three years after her own initial diagnosis, and today Rachel continues to work full-time with very few of her coworkers being aware of her stage four diagnosis. Her career keeps her busy and gives her the opportunity to travel both domestically and internationally to continue to experience all that life has to offer. However, she prefers to spend her quality time with her family, friends, and two dogs. Living in Southern California, Rachel says, gives her the chance to put quality versus quantity of life first. Hi, Rachel. Welcome to The Burn. Hi. Thanks for having me. Thank you. So you're here to read a piece that you wrote called Time that we featured in our 2023 issue called Five Years and Counting. 
after you read, you and I will dig into it and we'll chat. Those of you listening, stay tuned to the very end for a writing prompt inspired by today's episode. All right, Rachel, I'll let you take it away. Great, thanks. We all measure time differently, but the time passes consistently every day for everyone. You acknowledge how fast time is going the older you get. Somehow, time seems more precious with each day lived. When I received my metastatic cancer diagnosis, I lost all understanding of time. Is time defined by how much of it I still have? Is it defined by how well I've lived? Is it defined by the amount of time I still have left with loved ones? What about all the mistakes I've made? How do I fix those in the time I have left? To a cancer patient, time means so many different things. I needed to know, how can I maximize the time I have left? I was diagnosed in November of 2010 with stage one triple negative breast cancer, and then a metastatic triple negative diagnosis in April of 2014. The statistics of metastatic cancer made me angry. Only 22% live longer than five years? How can that be? Being a competitive person, I knew I would get a lot of joy from breaking a statistic. So now, how can I do that? Time could be short, and my oncologist was already telling me that I could stop working to focus on treatment. Why would I want to do that? My career keeps me busy, and I can't stare at the walls waiting to die. I have a statistic to break. With an MBC diagnosis, it's hard to explain to anyone how you lose all sense of who you are and what life is even about when your days are spent fighting for your life. A life that becomes multiple surgeries, oncologist visits, trips to an infusion center to have chemicals pumped into your body that make you feel terrible but are supposed to make you better, and anticipating PET scan results every three months. How is that a good way to spend my remaining time? I'm not one for always following the rules, but my oncologist and I have a really good relationship. She lets me push back on her and voice my opinion. We discuss things like adults and educated people do, and I do allow her to push me, even when I'm not certain she's right. But at this point, I'm working on a statistic-breaking goal, so let's see where this can go. Now what to do with my time when I'm not feeling horrible and not sitting in the infusion chair and waiting for the next PET scan to tell me if I'm responding to treatment. Do I want to have more friends with cancer? It can be so depressing, but yet they are the only people who really understand that time is measured differently. I'm terrified of having them as friends because I don't want to lose them and have to mourn them, but yet I find solace in their presence. I find inspiration and strength in knowing them and being around them, even if I have to mourn them when time isn't on their side. The survivor's guilt of when I lose one of them is very real. I mourn them and mourn the life they should be living. They should be the ones to survive. I keep the knowledge of my cancer to a small number of people, and it's not widely known at work. A very small select number of people know, and that's by my choosing. I don't want their pity. I'm working on living, and I don't need someone holding me back from living because they aren't sure if I'll survive. Time keeps passing by, and I keep getting closer and closer to beating that statistic. But am I actually living, or am I surviving? I'm surviving, but somehow I really am living too. A pretty damn good life. How can the two coexist? I am proof. I want to survive. 
but I have found that I'm truly living, and I've done that by releasing expectations. I still hold high expectations for myself, which helps me survive, but I've learned to minimize and let go of the expectations others have of me. The expectations to be somewhere that I may not want to go, to feel something specific, to do what's considered the right thing, and to be something in this life. I put enough pressure on myself to be the best wife or daughter or sister in my home and family life, excel as much as I can, and do something meaningful with my career. But I've learned to let go of the expectations that people have of me that don't bring me joy, that cloud my judgment, and that make me question if I'm doing the right things. I'm not perfect. No one is. But I refuse to let my life be minimized by the expectations of others. I cut those people out of my life, and I cling to those that cherish me and love me for who I am and what I do to make their life a bit better. I want to truly live. In May of 2019, I broke the statistic. I am in the 22%. There were no outward celebrations because, honestly, the inward win is enough for me. I can smile and know that with each passing year and each birthday, I have gotten one more year with my family and friends, one more year to cling to my other cancer survivor friends, one more year to mourn those who weren't able to beat the statistic but did their best to try, and one more year to experience things that help me to live a life well-lived and a damn good life of survival. In June of 2021, I released an expectation that others had of me the outward visual expectation of having breasts. My reconstruction with implants were so uncomfortable and, in my mind, so unnatural looking in the mirror. I hated looking in the mirror. I was disgusted with how I looked. I spent hours of research on what to do. I'm tired of surgeries and tired of expectations of what a woman looks like. If I remove my implants, can I live with that decision? And what would others think? I remembered, I released those expectations, and I'm living for myself. Goodbye implants, hello flat chest. I feel even more alive now. I can't explain the weight that was lifted from me and the wholeness I feel. It is the closest I've come to feeling more like myself, my truest self. Releasing others' expectations continues to allow me to live a life that I can enjoy. After all, it is my life, and I will not be minimized by what someone else judges my life to be. I am not special, and I likely may not have a very long life, but I am so happy to truly live and feel the love of those around me and find the joy in my life. I hate cancer, but like many others have said before me, cancer has helped me to focus on living a life of fullness, love, and joy in the midst of survival. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, thank you for that, Rachel. That was really powerful and beautiful. Thank you. All right. We're going to take a quick break here for a testimonial. And when we come back, we'll discuss and uh, get into it. Hi, friends. There is now a wildfire book in the world. It is a big, beautiful compilation of my favorite essays from Wildfire Magazine, spanning all the way back to our first ever issue in 2016, up to the summer of 2022. 
This book took years to create and is literally the resource I wish I had had when I was diagnosed with breast cancer. This book is called Igniting the Fire Within, and it's made up of 50 essays that really dig into the experience of having breast cancer in our 20s, 30s, and 40s. Every stage of breast cancer is represented from DCIS to stage four, from all sorts of walks of life from all around the world. Our writers go deep and get vulnerable to heal their own experiences and to let others like you know that you're not alone. You will find yourself within these pages. Get Igniting the Fire Within, stories of healing, hope, and humor inside today's young breast cancer community on Amazon in paperback and for Kindle now. Curl up with it today. Hi, this is Julie. I was diagnosed at age 47 with stage two hormone positive breast cancer. I found myself being propelled to sign up for a Sparks writing workshop. And with that commitment to myself and the other writers in our group, I had intentional time in my week for creativity and connection. You know, we have all heard April say that wildfire is all about the stories that need to be shared. And now I have experienced the magic of the wildfire community firsthand. I already loved to write before my diagnosis. And so I turned to writing as part of my healing process and being in the Sparks workshop felt like coming home. Simply, there is radiance in a community of truth tellers who are committed to turning over the rocks, to finding what lies beneath and shedding light in those dark spaces. I was surprised by the stories that came out for me during the workshop. I now have pages of stories, poems, lists, all kinds of drafts that I can further explore as I continue to make meaning for my lived experience in Cancerland. So thank you to April and the other writers in my Sparks group for providing a haven where we could create, laugh, cry, and above all, write and hear the stories that need to be shared. All right. Thank you so much for the love, Julie. All right. Turning back to you, Rachel, thank you again for such a strong and powerful story. I I just love that you are breaking statistics, breaking societal norms, really just charting your own path. Uh, like you said, really trying to put quality of life ahead of, of anything else, it seems. So thank you for that. Yes. Thank you. So let's start. Um, one of a question I frequently ask people is to put into their own words what they really wanted to convey with their story. So if you could tell me in a couple of sentences, like what what did you really want to say when you set out to write this piece? You know, I think I think when I wrote the piece, it was a chance, kind of as you've always said, right? You get to put your 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 thoughts into words and just convey like what what the last number of years has has been you know it's it's people ask you how you're doing people wonder how things are um and you're not always 100% honest with everyone and so i think this was my this was my honesty right this is this is where i've been this is me actually admitting to releasing these expectations while i've never fully probably said them out loud um, it's something that I've, I've done internally to say, look, I'm just, I'm not going to entertain these types of things anymore. 
So I think that's what it was. Yeah. So did you have um, a tipping point or a breaking point or something that kind of made you feel like it was time, um, pun intended, I guess, time to to write this and, and say this? Or did it just kind of evolve naturally? It just kind of evolved. Um, I think when I saw that you were looking for uh, the five years and counting and realizing that I'd been able to get past that five years and... I thought, you know what, I'm I'm going to do it. I'm going to take the take the time and put it down on paper. Yeah, maybe a little bit of a celebration. I know you said you didn't need that outward yeah. celebration, but it does feel good to say it out loud. I bet it does. It really does. Yes, and uh, it's fun. It's been nice to to share it too with with close family and friends. I bet. So yeah, let's talk about that visibility because you said that, you know, you haven't shared very much at work. And I know that living authentically and honestly is important to you. So I'm just wondering how you kind of hold both of those things in in the same hand. Yeah, it's, um, I would say it's probably the most difficult because I'm I, I don't trust everyone with the information, but those that I do trust, I feel are people who are very much in my close inner circle um, and ones that I feel are genuine and authentic and they see me for who I am and what I'm what I'm looking to get out of living this life, right? And what I'm doing with my time and how I bring my best self forward to not only my family, but also to my work and my friends. Mm -hmm. I like that. And I like that it's not black and white. Like, I like that you can be, I guess, holding this part of your identity that is, you know, cancery, NBC-ish, and all of that, and also say, I don't want that to be my entire identity. Like, there is a lot more to me than that. Um, you know, we live in this age now, this really interesting time where patient advocates are becoming influencers on on things like Instagram and things. And and it is an, it's an interesting question of how you balance yourself in terms of like how to be an advocate, how to go to work and have that identity, how to have this other thing at home. Do you have any tips for how you're doing it, how you're you're keeping it all balanced? Yeah, I, um, you know, I've actually thought about it a little bit as to do I want to start being a little bit more forward, especially with the advocacy, because I do feel a strong pull um, to be an advocate for others. It's It's been interesting. I actually have had um, some coworkers or even close friends who didn't know about my diagnosis before. And then when they were diagnosed, um, I actually revealed mm. to them. And so it, it, it becomes an additional kind of powerful binder, right? Um, being able to still be an advocate, especially for people that you wouldn't have probably normally told, um, and then having them all of a sudden be like, "Oh, you're you're like me," and and now I have I have someone else to talk to, and so it's it's maybe it's me taking those small steps and kind of. For me, feeling out, can I get to that point where I can do more advocacy, even though I am very visual or being seen by others at work? Um, I just want to balance the ability to not be judged at work and not be kept from opportunities yeah. 
because people are worried if I'm actually going to be there next year or I'm going to get sick and be in treatment and not be able to handle the workload. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that is a really, really good point about societal expectations of what living with illness is versus, you know, the fact that it doesn't look like a cancer patient on television or in the movies necessarily. You know, it's a very... um, layered thing and it's different for each individual. But I kind of like, I now have this image of you, um, a little Clark Kentish, you know, like people at work um, suddenly seeing like <laughs> this other, in, not to say that that you have to be a superhero or anything like that, but you yeah. know, it feels very powerful to get to reveal it to them when it's appropriate and to actually show them yeah. a different way of of cancer, you know, it's, yeah, that's pretty powerful. I like that a lot. And I like that you don't have a hard set rule for yourself. Like I will never show anyone this at work. It's more just like when it's appropriate, I will do this. Yep. Yep. Mm. Yep. It, it, it helps. It helps, I think. And, and it also gives me some, you know, a little bit of solace as well, knowing that there's other people around me, even at work that that are experiencing some of the same things. Exactly. Well, and I can't help but think it's also giving you agency. You know, this thing came into your life that you didn't ask for. And we all are trying to find those places where we can have some control. And right now, that that is working for you to have that control over it. It is. It really is. Is it... Um, I'm always interested in how how cancer shows up in relationships. And I'm wondering, does your partner also not talk about cancer at his work or does he have a different approach to it? I think I think because he's had to, you know, there's been times where he's had to take off or he, you know, takes me to treatments or things like that. I think it was a lot more front and center. Um, doesn't talk about it probably too significantly, but also I see he talks a lot at, a lot about it with other people who have similar experiences. So other men who have wives that are being treated for various different types of cancer or, and it gives him actually also the same type of an outlet mm-hmm. um, to have someone to talk to that understands um, what it's like to have um, you know, a, a spouse who or a partner who is out there and and still working and busy and trying to survive and yeah, so I think he he finds his community of people as well um, without being super outspoken and widely public about it. Mm-hmm. It's such an interesting balancing thing because I think especially in the caregiving perspective, it sometimes can feel like, well, this is her story. This is her experience. And so I can't talk about it. But honestly, the caregiving experience needs support, lots of support. Yeah. And I think it can be hard to find others who know what that's like to be a caregiver. So I'm glad that he's finding that support when he can and where he needs it. Yeah, it is key, I think, for for all caregivers, for sure. Yes. Um, No matter no matter what part of a diagnosis they're in, um, there's always something for them that they need support on. Exactly. That we can't give them. Exactly. Exactly. And it's just, it's just different. It's not, you know, harder or easier or, you know, any of those kinds of things. It's just its own no. experience. Yeah. It's different. Mm-hmm. Very different. Yeah. 
So I want to talk about the explant also. And I love that you um, decided to do this for yourself and could recognize that you weren't happy with, you know, where you were. I think sometimes people feel a little bit stuck in a decision. And a lot of decisions in cancer happen so fast without, I think, some of that... um, you know, what is it going to be like to live with this for several years, you know, and will this be okay? We're just very focused on, you know, get it out of my body, get it off my body, whatever that is in that moment. But it, it can evolve and change. And I'm half flat. I've talked about that here on the podcast and I wore a prosthetic for five years. And for me, it was that switch when I realized I didn't feel like myself when I wasn't wearing the prosthetic and I needed to do something different. So I just want to ask you kind of where you're at with the process of of living in your body again. You know, time has moved on again since we published this story. So is this something that's still evolving for you or where are you with with flat life now? Yeah, it's um honestly it's it's been it's been great. Um I think I've over the because I'm coming up almost on 2 years of um of my explant. And I, I feel confident and comfortable going out, um, not wearing any prosthetics, just myself. And it was interesting the first, one of the first times I went to work, um, and there were some people that I'm close with who know me and know my diagnosis. Um, and I hadn't told them about the surgery and I saw them for the first time and, you know, we'd gone to dinner and, and we'd been there for probably well over an hour. And I, I said something to her and I said, well, it seems as though you, you didn't notice. And she's like, notice what? And I told her and she was like, oh, I didn't notice. And so it was a little bit of a reaffirmation for me because that was within like two and a half months of explant that, um, I was, able to have this conversation with her and she she just kind of said to me she was like I had no idea and she goes I didn't even notice and so that helped me to realize there's probably quite a few people who just don't really even notice and so I still am a little more careful with some of the things I wear at work um nothing that's super form-fitting unless I have a jacket over top of it or something like that um, trying to avoid those types of, you know, just straight out viewing. Mm-hmm. Um, but super comfortable, so happy, feel so good, um, and just becoming so much more used to it. It's great. Yeah. And this idea that you're an evolving person, an evolving landscape, you know, in that you're allowed to make these choices for yourself and how freeing it is to realize that not everyone is staring at our chests all the time, you know, that we can make these changes and no one notices. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, even my oncologist said to me, she was like, oh, you don't want to do that. Mm. And I was like, why? Mm -hmm. And then once I did it, she was just like, that was actually a really good idea. <laughs> you know, like she realized she could see like the change, like the difference. And I was like, oh, okay. I was like, yeah, this is, this is why it's my decision. This is why I took the time to, to go through. I, I saw four different surgeons 
you know, had conversation with four different surgeons, two plastic, two general surgeons, and had this conversation. And at least two of them were just like, oh, you don't want to do mm. that. And I was like, interesting. Yeah. Well, good news is and I did. So <laughs> I'm so glad you did. It's clear that it was the right decision. And it's no one else's body to live in, but yours. Oh. So yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh. Well, I have one more question for you, and I want to turn to writing, and I want to ask you, and you can tell me, you know, if 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 you don't feel comfortable answering this, that's fine, but I know for a lot of people listening that they might feel that they don't have a unique story or a unique breast cancer story or worry about maybe not having... Um, an uplifting ending. I've been hearing that lately from people being like, can I tell my story if it doesn't, doesn't feel like it ends on a now everything's great and fine kind of note. So I just wonder if you personally have any advice um, or if you had to face that in, in kind of telling your story and embracing that every story is worthy, you know, every narrative is worthy. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Every every story is worthy. Every narrative um, to to the conversation earlier, like your body, your decisions, your choices, your life. And I, you know, I think I, I had that question in my head of, do I round this out in a positive tone? Do I keep this in like the subtle tones? Honestly, I think because you and 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 wildflower gives us the opportunity also to continue to have our voices heard. Even if you have a story today that is a, maybe a downside story or something that doesn't end on a positive note, who knows in, in six months to a year, well, you could be writing a story that has a positive note or something that great that happened, right? I could have potentially had a, a poor outcome in regards to my explants. You know, it, it could have been a bad, bad outcome and I would have had something bad to write. But for me, it came out positive. For others, it's the same way. Today may be a negative and in six months to a year, it's a positive. And so don't be afraid of writing that negative today because the positive will be there in the future and you'll be able to change the story or rewrite the story or put a happy ending on the story. And I think that's the nice thing about us being able to continue to write is that your story continues to evolve. There's going to be the bad stuff and the down stuff that you should write about because you need to get it out. And then there's a the good stuff that is exciting to read as well. And I think everybody knows that you, we all can actually commiserate and see and resonate with the downsides because we've all experienced them. And there isn't a one of us that hasn't had the bad that we've really been stuck in the lows on. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, just to piggyback on that, that it's more powerful to tell a story of how you, you know, get up the next day after a hard thing like that, or how you kind of reconcile it or make sense of it, versus if everything just goes according to plan. Um, I mean, I want to say that might be a boring story, actually. <laughs> you know, like I want right? to, I want to hear how you overcame yeah. something or learned how to deal with yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Then, then like a yeah. greatest hits real. Like that's that might be great exactly. for your family, but for the rest of us, we want to know. We want to know the how of it. Exactly, and and I think it helps for 
everybody who's at different points in their journey, right? It's I, I've spoken to, you know, someone who was recently diagnosed and she called me and was just like, I don't even know how to overcome this. I I am so, so distraught. She's like, how how do I get to where you are today? And I'm mm. like, unfortunately it's time. Yeah. But you'll you'll get there, right? And and it's unfortunately you can't move the clock forward to get to those points. But like you said, that's what makes the stories exciting to read and and fun to see everyone. It's fun is the wrong word, but it's it's nice to to feel that comfort in seeing everyone else going through those ebbs and flows because it doesn't make you feel like you're the only one in the lows. Exactly. Exactly. It's about not being alone in it and finding your your little moments of strength within your own story too. And like you said, it's time. It really, you know, to bring it all the way back, it's, it feels so cliched, but I think that's because it's true. And then we just want to see, you know, how, how that cliche rings true for each person individually, you know, cause it is going to be very different for each one. Yep. Mm. There's always parts in your life where you're just like, I want time to move faster. I want to get out of this treatment I want. And then there's other times where you're just like, oh, I love like this point and I'm in between treatments or I'm getting a break or I'm starting to feel like myself and and you want time to move a little slower. It's true. Um, Yeah. And for me personally, it's been a journey of learning to embrace the pauses between things. You know, I think that for a long time I thought, well, you know, once I get through this rough patch, then it's smooth sailing from here on out. But Unfortunately, that actually isn't how life works. And there's always another speed bump, big or small, on the horizon. And so it's learning how, for me, learning how to appreciate right here, you know, where, where we're in between those things. And then finding ways of facing the the struggle without feeling like totally derailed by it. You know, oh, you know, this is yes. a huge setback. Yes, yes, finding those ways and and I think being able to read other people's stories and experiences sometimes gives you that ability to know that eventually you're going to come out of it. It's it's, it's you're going to get there. It's just feeling, you know, feeling the feels that you need to feel to to eventually come out on the other side and knowing that others have done it exactly. too. Exactly. Exactly. And to your story, you know, and you don't have to do it all out loud either to still, you know, heal and move through it. And you can pick your various audiences that that are your safe people for talking about it. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. I love that. Well, thank you so much for this conversation today, Rachel, and for your story. Thank you. It's been wonderful. Thanks. If, if people do want to find out more about you, are you open to, to having followers and things like that? Or where can people find you? Yeah, yeah. I'm, um, I'm on Instagram at, um, it is at RJVSK. So I'm more than happy to have pe- people reaching out. Uh, love to connect with people and connect with others that want to talk about their stories and to share things. Um, so yeah, look forward to that if, if anyone is interested. Perfect. We will definitely link to you. So today's guest and writer has been Rachel Van Strattenkirk, and you can find her piece in the 2023 issue of Wildfire Magazine called Five Years and Counting. Her piece is called Time. 
And I am April Stearns, and you've been listening to The Burn. The Burn is a production of Wildfire Magazine, where we share breast cancer stories from young people like you've never read or heard before. We also strive to inspire you to write your story like you've never written it before. Stay to the end for a writing prompt inspired by today's chat. Our producer is Bill Smith of Shoe Production, and our production assistant is Monica Haro. Want more on the life-changing transformation to be had from telling your breast cancer stories? Visit wildfirecommunity.org to find a copy of the issue shared in today's episode, to find our 43 and counting issues in the Wildfire archives, and to take a writing workshop with me. There is no place on the planet like a wildfire writing workshop, and I want you to experience it for yourself. Discover how to write your way back to yourself, write your way to reclaiming your body and your story. And don't forget to subscribe to The Burn and listen to it wherever you go. All right, here is today's writing prompt. This one, I'm gonna invite you to set your timer for 20 minutes. It's a longer one. So set your timer for 20 minutes, write without stopping or editing. The prompt is to reflect on your breast cancer experience and the passage of time. Consider the following. How has your perception of time changed since your diagnosis? How has the experience of facing mortality and navigating treatment altered your relationship with time? Take a moment to reflect on the moments that have stood out to you, the milestones, the challenges, the triumphs, and the setbacks, and explore how time has shaped your perspective. And then for the second part, I want you to sit down and write a letter to your past self. That letter to the self that was just before your diagnosis or at the beginning of this whole experience. What wisdom, insight, or advice might you share with that version of yourself? How would you help them navigate the uncertainties, the emotions, and the changes that lie ahead? Consider the lessons you've learned and the strength you've discovered. All right, set your timer for 20 minutes, write without stopping, see what needs to come out and where it will take you. And if you find that you write best with a good writing prompt, I have lots more for you. Head to wildfirecommunity.org free to download yours. Happy writing. Thanks for listening. Until next time, take good care.